But I have been preparing this message, not so much as a message, but as my Wednesday night group is going through the book of Ephesians, and I had already started down this road. So I grabbed some of that material, and I put it in this format. And it's a format that's going to be a little different for all of us. It's called Biblical Language Grammar. And as Bob stated and pointed out, that in your bulletin, you have this portion of Scripture written down in there. And if you're not one that marks in your Bible, you may want to grab that out because we're going to be circling some words and looking at some words and trying to grab the, grasp the meaning of this verse of Scripture, these verses of Scripture. We will take them one at a time. Starting with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ. Circle the word apostle. Circle the word the will or the words. Circle the word saints. Encircle the word faithful. To be an apostle is one who is sent forth with orders. A delegate. An ambassador. Sent forth with orders and a delegate and an ambassador of our Lord Christ Jesus. By the will of God, sent by God, not of man, a divine holy commission. A saint, most holy person. The root word means sacred and set apart. Faithful. Trustworthy, sure, and true. So Paul, an apostle, sent forth as a delegate and ambassador. By the will of God, not of men, Paul is operating under... The guidance of God to the saints, the holy people there in Ephesus, the set-apart people that are faithful in Christ Jesus, that are trustworthy, that are sure, and that are true. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Christ Jesus. Circle grace and circle peace. Grace is goodwill and favor. 
It can come from a variety of sources, but today our grace here in this church, and I pray for you in your life, comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, the peace that comes from understanding and knowing our Lord Jesus Christ, is rest, quietness, and set at one again. Winston Smith, a Christian counselor, says it this way. Biblically speaking, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but the absence of sin. John 14, 27 tells us, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. My peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. See, this grace and this peace comes from God our Father. It can only be experienced by those who understand what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Verse 3. Blessed be the God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Circle blessed. Circle the second blessed. And circle spiritual blessings. To be blessed. The church that is us who believe. We are to be oriented towards God. In such a way as to give all glory and all praise to the one that deserves it. That is God the Father. His Son Jesus Christ. Blessed us. with the grace and peace that we experienced in verse 2. That is God's design. That is God's plan to bring blessings into those that believe, into the life of those that believe on his Son, Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing every spiritual blessing. God holds nothing back. We have access to all of God's goodness. Right here. Right now. What are they, you might ask? What are these spiritual blessings? 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. To live to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. According to his great mercy, he's caused, caused us to be born again. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Brothers and sisters, we have access to that love right now. Are you leaning towards it? Are you leaning into it? Do you understand it? Spiritual blessings. We're going to take verses 4, 5, and 6 together. So 4, 5, and 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Circle, he chose us before the foundation of the world. We should be, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Circle, predestined. And circle, his will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Circle, his glorious grace. And again, he has blessed us. This verse of scripture is hard for some people. He chose us. He predestined us. There's two different sides of this fence, isn't there? Either it's all God, and man doesn't have anything to do with being called to God. Or it's all man, and God doesn't have anything to do with whether man responds to God or not. God knew, God knew you. God knew you before time. It is his plan. It is his will. His grace to bless us with the knowledge of his son. That is his plan. not just knowledge but also the ability the ability to believe it's the parable of the sower remember the parable of the sower the one that throws the seed out on the ground some fell upon the path the birds came down and ate it it got trampled some fell upon the rocks and it sprung forth but it withered and died 
Some fell amongst the thorns, and it grew up. It took root, but the thorns and the weeds choked it out. But some, some fell on the good soil, and it grew, and it produced a harvest a hundredfold. I've asked the question, and I dare say probably you've asked the question, why do some people believe and some people don't? It's the same God, it's the same gospel, it's the same message. Why do some people grab it and grasp hold of it and understand it and believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross? And there are those that just don't. Why? They just don't or won't. There are some that get excited and run all around. They've just figured out what the gospel is. They start telling everybody and their friends all about Jesus. But when the first trial comes along, the first temptation comes along, they succumb to the world. And at that first big challenge, their faith withers. And yes, why do some let God into their hearts where the gospel takes root and a harvest is reaped for a lifetime? For some of us, it's a lifetime of change. I brought up our Wednesday night group. On Wednesday night, it was the first class, and if you still want to get in, you can. This is an advertisement for my Wednesday night class. We'll just be on the second one. We just did introduction last week. So you can jump in. It's still plenty of time to get involved. Six o'clock, right downstairs in the dining room. But I went around and introduced everybody. I introduced everybody. I didn't have everybody introduce themselves. But I asked each person that was there, actually couples, one question. And that question was, how long have you been saved? There was only 12 couples there. We went around, made introductions, and everybody gave the amount of time that they had been saved and understood since they had been born again, understood what Christ did for them on the cross. We had some that was there that had been saved for over 60 years. A lifetime. Of changed heart, where the seed fell on the good soil and took root, it produced a harvest. We had some there that was only born again Christians for two months. Tender little plants. 
praying that it's in good soil, that it's going to take root and it's going to grow. Praying, protection. But of those 12 people, as we went around, we all got different numbers. And at the end, we added those numbers up. 12 people. How long have you been saved? Quick in your head, mental thought. How many years? 12 people. Over 299. We were 12. We're probably 60 or 70 in here this morning. Maybe a little more. How many years of Christian experience? Of doing it right and doing it wrong. Because even after we're Christians, we do it wrong, right? It's okay to say that. But when we do it wrong, and we know we've done it wrong, do we have a person that we can turn to? A mentor. Somebody that we trust. To say, I need some help. How many years of Christian experience? How many lives are in this room? How many have gone through things, difficult things, that others that might be in this room are going through right now that could help, that could come alongside? But until we're to that point where we're willing to say, I need help. It doesn't come. We can't protect that tender little plant. We don't know where we need to be pruned. Amongst those 12, there was 299 years of Christian experience of following our Lord Jesus Christ, trying to be obedient to God's word. You would think with all those years, we would know and we would understand why some believe and some don't. Why when the gospel is shared and an invitation is given, why some respond and some won't. But we don't. What I do know is that for those of us that have believed, we've been given a job. And that is to shine the light into the darkness. The darkness of this world. To share the love of Jesus with people who need to know that there is love to be found. That love is called hope. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you have experienced that love. And if you haven't, before you leave today, please talk to somebody. Talk to me. I'll be down here after this 
service. Let's talk about what it means to be born again. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Circle in him. Redemption. Forgiveness. Grace. Redemption. Ransom paid in full. To buy back. That's what Jesus has done for every one of us. He has paid our debt, a debt that we could not pay, and he has bought us back. He's provided a way for us to experience God. Forgiveness. To be relieved of that debt. And that debt never to be remembered again. In him with his grace. In him with his grace. We find these two gifts. Nowhere else can these two gifts be found. Or experienced. Or understood. Outside of his love. Verse 8. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Lavished. Circle lavished. Super abounding and in, in excess. The hymn writer put it this, put it, puts it this way. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life the cost. We stood beneath a debt we could never afford. Our sins they are many. His mercy is more. Verse 9. Making known to us the mysteries of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Circle his will and his purpose. His will and his purpose. Brothers and sisters, we have not, we are here not by random happenstance, but with a purpose. And that purpose is to do His will that He has planned out before the foundations of the earth. Verse 10 has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him things in heaven and things on the earth. Circle plan and circle unite. To plan, to have a way forward. A way forward for the best outcome. To unite, to sum up, gather together into one. As we've already seen in previous verses, God has a plan. He had it before the foundation of the world. That plan includes Jesus uniting heaven and earth. Why does heaven and earth need to be united? When did they get divided? 
It was when Satan deceived Eve. Eve gave the fruit to Adam, and he ate. His sin entered into the world, divided heaven and earth. Before then, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. You might ask, why did God make man if he knew he would fail in sin? question I've asked myself from time to time. Why did God let man sin? Why did he even create him? Because we're not looking at the whole picture. Because it's part of God's plan. Why did God let man sin? If he knew Jesus would have to die on a cross for payment for that sin, this is part of God's plan. Why doesn't Jesus return right now and make everything that seems so upside down? What is right is wrong, and what is wrong is right. Why doesn't Jesus just come back? And correct everything. Because it's part of God's plan. And we've got to trust and have faith. And listen and love those that are around us. And love our God who is in heaven. Before the foundation of the world. God knew you. He knew you. He loved you and lavished lavished gifts on you. The gift of Jesus Christ. The ability to understand what God did for us on the cross. When the time was right, he sent his son, Jesus. And when the time is right, he will send him back. To unite heaven and earth. It is the plan. It's just bigger than our plans. It's bigger than our vision. God who can see the end before there was a beginning is asking you, will you trust me? That's called faith. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Circle predestined, the purpose, and his will. These are all things that we have already discussed, but they're very important. God who loved us before we were formed in our mother's womb predestined us to love him back. His purpose is to unite heaven and earth. And his will is that none should perish and that all should come to an understanding of his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, so that we who were the first of 
to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So that we, circle, so that we, in the praise of his glory. So that we, his church, people who understand, people that have been born again, to the praise of his glory. This is God's story, and we just get to be a part of it. Thank him that we get to be a part of his story. Isn't that a Amazing, astonishing. So many people think they're living their story. You're living God's story. And God has a plan for each and every one of you. Will you acknowledge Him in your life? Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise. Circle and believed in him. And believed in him. That's the part that falls on us. God has given us everything we need to know him, to love him, to understand him, and be forgiven by him. He asks us to draw near to him, and he'll draw near to us. The question is, do you believe it? I've used this in the past, and I will keep on using it again. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God does not stand to condemn. He comes to save. In verse 18, whoever believes in him him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Believing is an important step in our faith walk with God the Father. Finally, verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? Circle guarantee. Circle guarantee. Guarantee means absolute and without question. Can you say today, absolutely, without question, you believe 
in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he died on a cross for your sin and that he was raised to new life, defeating death in the grave. It is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And in the fullness of time, when the time is right, he's coming back for his church and establish a reuniting of heaven and earth. Do you believe? Do you believe? God has blessed us, chosen us, predestined us, redeemed us, forgiven us, lavished on us, revealed to us, reconciled us, paid the ransom for us, and given to us a guarantee of eternal life. Do you believe?